1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barbalat. Today, I am blessed to be in dialogue with with Sylvia Nakamuli. She is a cookery teacher and Italian Jewish food specialist living in London, England. We are here today to discuss her new book, Jewish Flavors of Italy, a family cookbook published in London by Green Bean Books, 2023. Sylvia, I am unbelievably blessed to be in dialogue with you today. Hello,
2: thank you, Ari. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here.
0: To begin, please tell us about yourself. Where did you grow up? What formative events in your life inspired the chef and cook and writer you would become as an adult?
2: Yes so um I am from Rome I was born and grew up in Rome uh, in Italy and uh, um I then moved to Israel where I did my undergraduate in Israel uh eh, in political science and then I moved to London 25 years ago so quite quite some time but my formative years in in Italy were really growing up in an Italian Jewish family which is a bit of a double years. <laughs> uh, but as food is concerned, it's probably a good, a good, um, end result. So, so um, surrounded by food and people and it, Italian and particularly Roman Jewish tradition, um, um, that, that, that was in, in a nutshell, that's, that's the way I, I, I grew up.
0: What inspires you to write this book? What message? What message do you hope to convey to readers in this cookbook?
2: Yes, so it's a it's a two layered answer. I I think one is a sense of responsibility by having been perhaps the first in hundreds of years in my family that left Italy um, because we could trace my family. Rome is the oldest Jewish community in the Western world, and the Jews have been there for up to Two thousand years, if no longer, um, and I'm feel a sense of responsibility about keeping those traditions alive. So, food is one of the uh, things that we keep and we bring wherever we go, and uh, that survives perhaps um, the longest. So, uh, part of uh, of my of my aim is to really keep those traditions alive and 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 bring a message of uh, an, an inspiring. Uh, um, Young or older alike to, to cook and uh, to explore uh, flavors which are, yes, Italian, but they do have a history, they do have a, a, a cultural baggage behind, and to try to understand the source and the, what inspires the, the recipes.
0: What are the primary themes in your book? What quote unquote story does your cookbook tell?
2: Um, I think the family so it's a family cookbook that's quite important and the reason that I bring up the family is because for me uh, it's really important to bring uh, food to life so um, I think it's, con- it's not just what we eat and how we nourish our body but why we decide to eat what we eat so um, um, I think that's a, that's a really central central point.
0: What would you like listeners to get out of our dialogue today?
2: Uh, I would love them to be inspired and finish to listen to this and open the book and start cooking. (laughs) Um, Or or to learn something uh, saying, oh, I didn't know this about Italian Jews. Uh, Or I didn't know that there were Italian Jews. Or I didn't know that the Italian Jews eat rice for Pesach. uh, um, But they're still not Sephardi. So how can it be? So uh, I've loved people to just question things or discover things or, or or just cook
0: i hope so too <laughs> toward the end of the book you present the poem la sparshandata by Giudaico romanescu who was he can you describe the meaning of this poem
2: okay so Giudaico romanescu it is not a name Giudaico romanescu means simply roman jewish so yes. it is a is a it is a um a poem which is uh, that the author seems unknown. So they have, I, I found it in uh, uh, the book by Toaf. Um, uh, um, and, uh, um, Arieltuaf, and and uh, it's uh, it's really uh, basically it's like it's it's this book in one poem. It's like the story of uh, Italian Jewish cuisine into a poem. It's like a list of over I think there are more than two hundred dishes that Roman Jews and not only because it, it also mentions names of dishes that uh, go in the Livorno in Venice and and uh, and other um, cities in Italy. What they used to Eat uh, and the, the poem is written at the end of the nineteenth uh, century or the beginning of the twentieth century, and uh, it's the it's basically um, uh, una ode. How do you say ode in English? Um, it's like a poem, uh, like a, a, a song to a, a home cook, a woman, and said, okay, show me what you can do. And she said, oh, I am Italian Jewish uh, and I can cook uh, uh, such a variety of dishes. And then she just goes into a like a kosher rule. She starts by saying I uh, keep kosher rules, are uh, really important uh, And then she just goes on and starts giving this list of over 200 dishes that she makes. Uh, So somehow it's a a testimony. It's like a a legacy of of what Roman Jews or Italian Jews ate over 100 years ago.
0: Wow. How has Italy's Libyan Jewish community impacted contemporary Italian Jewish cuisine? Can you comment on the mutual influence of Libyan and Italian cuisines on one another?
2: Yes, I think that's a really fascinating question because uh, um, Italian cooking, like any other cooking, is is really created by the influence within and from outside. So the Italian cuisine is, uh, Italian Jewish cuisine, it's Italian in flavors because Jews have been there for so long but it's been inspired by the local cuisine in you know, all the to conform and then to conform to kosher rules. Um, um and created new new dishes. And then they had like Jews coming from many different countries throughout the centuries. And the Libyan Jews uh, is the latest waves of immig- immigrants that came after 1967 when they really escaped basically almost overnight. And uh, uh, being an old Italian con- colony, they um Italy was one of the main places where I ended up going. Still others went to Israel and the states. Um, um, and they brought with them as Jews, those and not only Jews, their own cooking traditions and uh, their own ingredients, and uh, and they really kept it very, very preciously, and they they kept on cooking those uh, wonderful dishes such as the khaimi or the merduma or mafrum. Uh, uh, uh or the sefra, there's this this like a large varieties of dishes and uh and when they they came to rome they introduced them to the slowly through the italian t- tradition so today if you go to uh the restaurants in the in the jewish area of rome you do find a lot of restaurants that uh, do offer a few um uh, Libyan, in particular Tripolitanian from Tripoli, uh, dishes, and they really enriched the Italian tradition. So whenever I used to go as a as a child or a teenager to a friend's house, and and the the mother used to be the uh, from Tripoli, the food uh, was mostly from Tripoli, so it was not uh, that much kind of Roman Jewish as I, as I was uh, um, used to. But then of course, uh, being in Italy, they also uh, incorporated and adopted a lot of uh, the wonderful ingredients that you find in Italy and they kind of then, as happens, is a marriage of cultures and, uh, and to kind of uh, a live alongside
0: nowadays. In light of what you just alluded to, mm-hmm. how has the kosher and Jewish restaurant scene in Italy changed in recent decades? What are the most noteworthy kosher restaurants in Rome, mm-hmm. Milan, Venice, and elsewhere in Italy? What cuisines are represented? What are the present culinary trends? Yes,
2: so it's a became le, le, the kosher scenes has really um, flourished in the last uh, decade or two. Um, and when I grew up, uh, there was really almost nothing. Uh, if you would go to the, the the Jewish area where they used to be once the ghetto, in what is called the Piazza Piazza Ebraica, in, in the Portico d'Ottavia, there was no 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 maybe one or two. Uh, kosher restaurants. And now, because it became very much of a central um, spot, like a hot spot for tourists, and, and there's a lot of very interesting Jewish uh, um, tourism, and not necessarily Jewish, then uh, a, a lot of restaurants really start uh, um, being created. And also, the another things that changed it as well was the, in Rome in particular, um, was the Jewish school, because there's one Jewish school that didn't used to be in the Jewish ghetto. And since it, they moved it in the main ghetto, then the whole area has been really revived and a lot of restaurants start opening up. So people come out of school and go and eat something local. There can be a the, one of the, it's a great little fast food. I am not a fast food person at all, but like a fast food, the, the Roman Jewish way, it's like a, um, there's this one little place is called Fonzi's where they make uh, so the Rome they have um, wonderful ways of uh, uh, a, a curing beef uh, or cutting, having specific kind of cut of 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 beef. So you have carne seca or uh, um, uh, which is like dried, uh, cured meat, and that's based on the idea that I'm mentioning earlier that you're inspired by the local cuisine, which in Italy would be like cold cuts of pork, for example, and make it kosher. And uh, so, in this case, you would use the beef and you cure it, and you can make sausages, you can make uh, um, dried, uh, um, dried cuts, and uh, in the fast food you have these sandwiches, which is, which is uh, basari, is a meaty. And you have this wonderful Roman Jewish cuts of meat in the or a concha, which is um the marinated fried courgette, so which just in there. So, even even the fast food has got a bit of a soul of, it, of, it, of its own. Um, um, then, in I know I, I haven't, I know there are kosher like restaurants in Florence and in uh, um, a, uh, Venice, I haven't, I haven't tried to to be totally honest. I don't eat much in in a kosher restaurant, as they say that the best food is mama's food so. Whenever <laughs> I, I am in Rome, I do, I do tend to to eat more at my parents, um, but I I do take the kind of the odd slice of pizza or or or, or uh, um, a piece of pizza bricca from boccione, uh, and then the 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 kosher bakery in Rome and um, uh, it, which is really
0: tasty. In what ways is your approach to cooking similar to or different from your mother's and grandmother's? How is your cooking style similar to or different from your sisters and sister-in-laws? Uh,
2: so it's 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 all one family, so you can see a family way of cooking and um the uh that's one, my last name we've always quite known to cook quite well so everyone in my family both my mother and my father and and uh, my aunt and uncle and grandma everyone kind of cooks quite well and everyone is always very happy to come to come over for <laughs> for a for a meal um uh, my mom she's uh, uh, she's, I think she's the best cook. Uh, I must, I must admit, and she's really been an inspiration on everything that I've learned. I learned it through her, and I learned it by inertia, by just absorbing it. Really, she, she, she works, and she's super busy. She never said, "Come, darling, I teach you how to do that." She just kind of gets on with it. So you just need to watch and and um, eat, and then eventually you just by leaving it. So I learned really by. Uh, absorbing it, so I I think by be having been away for Italy for longer than actually by now, I actually lived in Italy. My my cooking, as my father in particular says, has been contaminated by a lot of uh, different other ingredients. So maybe maybe my flavor is a little bit richer. I guess I I, I dare to experiment a bit. Although in the book, I've really tried my best to keep. The the recipe as really they are and how as they would do in Italy. Um, my sister's cooking also it's uh it's very similar it's very good. She explores a little bit more also. Um, my my grandmothers they had very different style of cooking. However, uh, one was very abundant in quantities and in type of creativity, and the other one was very minimalistic and doing always kind of more similar the same dishes over and over and quantities smaller so um, I think that's quite a, an interesting uh, um, uh, kind of background but but I I, I I both they both had to give and I took whatever
0: <laughs> whatever they wanted to share culinary wise. What was a typical Friday night Shabbat dinner like in your home growing up What are Shabbat dinners like in your home today as an adult? with your own family? What were your favorite conversation topics at a Shabbat dinner table when you were younger? And what are they today with your own guests?
2: Um, Lovely questions. Um, So Friday night uh, dinners, when I was quite young, we used to be at my nonna Emma's and Nonna Sandro's home and uh, they are the grandparents that I mentioned earlier, the second, the latter one. So the the menu was always the same and the quantities were more kind of smaller, um, which was a frittata di spaghetti, a spaghetti frittata. Um, They they kept Shabbat, so everything had to be ready before and and served either warm or room temperature. I'm not sure they had a a hot plate then. and there was like a, a stew of some type and uh, and but oh and a dessert a slice of cake but it was just enough for everyone and then we moved to my parents uh, when my grandparents became a little bit more elderly, and then my parents are very kind of more abundant. We always have at least maybe ten different types of vegetables, um, to 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 share at the table, and we're very seasonal on what we eat. So my parents would never have a fixed menu for for Friday night, and uh, it would ever be whatever they find at the market and uh, whatever it makes, um, a sense on 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 that night but the would, quantities would be abundant on that and today i do friday nights in london and uh um we we have i change menus oh. every night every every friday night so i don't i don't ever have, have a fixed menu I, I kind of very much follow my parents path of, of seasonality and um and I uh, and as far as discussion goes, uh, in Italy, it's all talking one on top of each other. <laughs> the other. So there's no one conversation but probably there's like four conversations going on at the same time and everyone listening at each other and no one listening at anyone. And uh, um, and uh, here in London, there's less of us, there's four of us, my sister-in-law who comes, uh, uh, Anne, my um my husband's sister and uh, so there's less of us and uh, uh we talk uh, i have my daughters are 11 so perhaps the conversation they are more kind of children friendly and but they sometimes even a bit existential they kind of start asking a lot of existential questions so we try to go with with those as well as the everyday life but uh, uh we very much enjoy
0: the Friday nights dinner every week how did it How did the Spanish Inquisition impact Italian Jewish food? How did the influx of Jewish refugees from Spain impact Italian Jewish cooking? How did the need to disguise or replace ingredients impact Italian Jewish cuisine? Um,
2: Okay, so these two parts of these questions, the first and the second one. Um, The first part of uh, the, the Spanish Inquisition, so Italy, had a lot of influx of uh, immigrants throughout the centuries and Italy is not Italy, as we know it today, until only about 140 years ago, before it was like um, 150 years ago, and before it was like a conglomerate of independent states. So the south of Italy, Sicily, Calabria, Puglia, and Sardinia uh, were part of the Spanish Empire. So with the Spanish, the beginning of the Spanish Inquisition, because it kind of went through really um, for some times, the Jews in 1492, and then later in 1541, they were expelled from Sicily, where there were more than 40,000 Jews living in in Sicily at the time, so that's just perhaps a larger number than, not perhaps, it is definitely a larger number of the all of Jews living in the whole of Italy today. Um, and, uh, And then later on, they moved also from the area around Naples and Puglia and they brought with them their own cooking traditions and their own in- ingredients a little bit like what we're talking about the the Libyan Jews uh, although the cooking perhaps was not as as radically different as the one of of Libya it was still the flavors quite italian so they introduced new ingredients like uh, aubergines um in the, which in sicily still today it's very widely eaten and uh, a combination of pine nuts and raisins i was um i was in palermo uh and I remember walking the market there and and seeing this uh, little sachet of pa- pine nuts and raisins that they just sell because people put it so much into the cooking and that's very much of a uh, Spanish or Sephardi influence in 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 the um, in the cooking. But Sicily has been always a, a, a melting pot of cultures and of influences from all over the Mediterranean. Perhaps I would almost the capital really of, of all the Mediterranean trade throughout the centuries. And when the Jews moved and settled in the center and north of Italy, they brought those ingredients with them and they introduced them and kept on cooking them despite the rest of most of the Italian population not really eating them. And um, and the in particular, particularly interesting because it's been defined as the vile food of the Jews by um, Pellegrino Artusi, who, who is one of the kind of uh, founders of Italian, Italian cuisine and wrote a really important book uh, 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 written more than a, more than a hundred years ago. So it's it's interesting to see how how the Jews basically had um, an interest or a culture of or a tradition to uh, use and cook the specific ingredients, uh, independently of the, the rest of the Italy. So then you could see that with aubergines, you can see that with pumpkin, you can see that with fennel um, that of course, now they're like widely spread and cooked and eaten and enjoyed by the rest of Italian population. But uh, uh, the Jews were amongst the first to to use them. Um, to go to the second part of your question, I am not sure that they they try to, to uh, hide, I can't remember exactly how what was the, the second part of the question? But I I, I how don't did think the that Inquisition.
0: They... Yeah, like how did the Inquisition mm. impact how Jews in Italy cooked what they cooked? Was it different in Italy than elsewhere in the Catholic world?
2: Yeah, I don't I yeah, I'm not so sure um, if, if it was a matter of inquisition because of the Inquisition in any in, 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 in any shape. I mean the Inquisition just Forced somehow, the the movement of the Jews, and with the forced movement, then kind of ingredients traveled with them and were introduced. Uh, but is uh, the one that were left, the Jews that were left in Sicily, either converted or, or were killed, and the one that converted, they didn't need to keep any traditions alive because the, there was nothing really that much different that they were doing, I think, compared to um to 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 the rest of the of the local population.
0: How did Italian Jewish cuisine change? and evolve as a result of the discovery of the new world and the colonization of the new world? How did Italian Jewish cookery adapt to new ingredients from the Americas to Jewish migration to and from the Americas and to the economic consequences of colonialism in the Americas?
2: Um, Okay, so uh, the, the, The the, the new ingredients uh, that came with the discovery of Americans are the wonderful tomatoes, potatoes, corn, peppers um eh, and uh, just to mention a few and, and they came and they really revolutionized totally if you think of Italian cooking now and think to think of Italian cooking or Mediterranean cooking without tomatoes it's almost uh, it's almost uh, hard to think but those were really new new ingredients and uh, um, and the cocoa and the coffee that came like it's and they, because Jews, uh, uh, um, especially in the um, in the north, by that time, like the, the, uh, with the Spanish Inquisition, with the conversos, they were a lot into trade. They were amongst the first one to um, to use and to get the uh, um, the tomatoes in that case, or the the cocoa. The um, and they and they really had uh, a very early. Um, tradition of of incorporating them in their cooking, like in Livorno, for example, which is the only Italian city that never had um, a ghetto in Italy. It's there was a Porto Franco. They uh, Im- actually invited all the conversos, uh, in particular, uh, all the Jews who came and 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 and. Uh, um, a, join really the um, the economic growth because it was really a jewel of, of, of town, of economic growth at the time. And they brought with them all those kind of new ingredients. So it, it's just not meaning the Jews didn't discover necessarily anything as such. They were just among the first one who happen to bring them and to make them part of their cooking. So in Livorno, we have the uh, Triglie alla Mosaica or La Livornese, which is uh, um, also my book, which is with tomato sauce, uh, which is really delicious, um, but those that's the way that slowly then they spread across all the other regions and, and um, any religious denomination.
0: How much do you know about your family's history in previous generations? Can you speak about your family's history during the years 1939
2: to 1945? Yes, so, so it's funny because when you ask a family history, I thought I was starting thinking over 500 years ago, 800 years ago. By all means, because I know. <laughs> No, I don't, I, we now because from my mother's side, I think we looked into it. We could look up to I don't know how many more than 10, 13, 16th generation in Italy. So it's goes quite a long way. And my father's side, it's uh, was well, my grandfather was from Venice. Um and then I come only go there. Um for probably at least a hundred couple couple of hundred years if not before. But talking about more recent history, um eh, I incorporated one thing that I decided to include in the book besides the recipe, uh and behind and besides the history of Italian Jewish cuisine and um it, it, uh, it's it's uh the it's the family side of what, how my parents and how my family really survived during the second world war because it's very much part of of my identity and who I am today and what uh, um why I do what I do even connected to food because I think it it it's it it really reflects um I, I don't know the way that my my parents gave us a Jewish a Jewish identity, and that's very much connected, I think, to the war. So they were both uh, hidden hidden children. Um, one, my father, he was uh, uh, um, saved, and he was uh, hiding in a in a boarding school, in a convent, really. Um, and my mother, she was uh, born in 41, so she was very small, but she was still hidden for nine months into the house of the ex-housekeeper of my great-grandmother, whose name was Sylvia, by the way. Um, and uh, um, and their story, I think, is quite, quite incredible. And they were very lucky to, to be to be uh, alive really and to, and to go through it. And not all my family survived. Some of their, my grandparents' siblings in both sides uh, perished and one even went and came back from Auschwitz and wrote a memoir. So I, I thought as a kind of as, a, as an Italian Jew, and as, as part of that sense of responsibility of keeping a tradition and memory alive. Um, uh, I share, I share the stories in the book.
1: Slash NBN50 to get 50% off. Can you tell us
0: about your Nona Bianca and your Nona Bino? Yes, Nonna you... Bino.
2: yes. So, Nona Bianca and my daughters. So, my I got two daughters, I got twin daughters, and they one is called Bianca after my big grandmother, and the other one is Thea after my husband's late grandmother. Um, and uh, Nona Bianca was uh, my mom, my father's mother, and Nona Bino was. Uh, um, her husband and he was from Venice, so he was Bino. Actually, his name is Abramo, but he was called Bino Nakamoli, and uh, he came actually to Rome in the 1930s. Um, and the rest of his family that was in Venice, they were all uh, they all got deported. Um, and so she, my grandma, they 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 were really wonderful, really kind of sunny disposition. Um, used to have Friday, Thursday lunches at home for all the family, for us and for our cousins. And uh, there were about 15 of us on average at the table. And my Nonna Bianca, my, my grandfather, he passed when I was about 10, but Nonna Bianca, she, she was there until my late 30s. So I, I enjoyed <laughs> her company really. Uh, for quite some time and uh, eh, she was just a pure inspiration. She, was, she cooked very well. she always had wise words. she was uh, um, eh, was supportive of whatever we were we were doing, but always always t- trying to teach us a lesson of life in,
0: <laughs> in between. Can you tell us about your Nono Sandro and your nonna Emma?
2: Yes, well done. <laughs> so, so Sandro and Emma were my mom's uh, parents. Um, very different in in character, but still very very important, very central in our upbringing. My my nonna Emma, she was a, uh, a primary teacher at school, so she helped me almost every day after school doing my homework. She was quite strict, but uh, she was good. And uh, um, uh, and nonno Sandro, he was. Wonderful, a uh, very elegant man, always with a hat, and they they used to call him Signor Buonasera, uh, um when he was always hello and uh, bowing and and uh, uh, really very always so happy to see us and. Um, um, really like a, a simple wonderful grandfather as well uh, so I, I, i've been very lucky to have uh, to have the four of them actually
0: can you tell us about some of the new trends in italian jewish cooking in the past 30 years in the past decades how have european integration Globalization and the proliferation of the internet impacted Italian Jewish cuisine.
2: Yes, um, yes, I think it's as you, you put it very well. There, it's really it's really about globalization of foods um, and and access, being able to access other uh, recipes or the culture. Like perhaps let's uh, let's take Hanukkah, who just passed. So the sufganiot, the sufganiot is really israeli's which israel is a relatively young country to start with as if if you see it within the context of a 2000 over 2000 years old uh, community so um but the, the Sufganyot uh, are quite similar for example to the italian bomboloni but i never really grew up with hanukkah and Sufganyot, so it's something that it's been Newly added to to the Italian uh, Jewish repertoire, which we very welcome because they're very tasty, and we and we realized that we do something very similar with the bomboloni, uh, just different feeling. and then we 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 kind of um, now you find them for all the time for Hanukkah, um, or the orecchiette Amman. Uh, in Roman Jewish tradition, they're like. Uh, uh, a strip of fried pastry, so very simple. And uh, well, actually there's uh, the amantash which are like what the pocket I'm a man which has triangle and field, and that's it's not often found. I didn't grow up again with them, which again they're delicious, so we adopt them and now we make them. Um, or even the challah, the basic, um, of uh, kind of the, the really the one of the pillars of uh, Jewish cuisine. Um, the braiding of the challah is really an Ashkenazi, um, a tradition to do it, uh, which in Italy, the, or not in Italy, all of Italy, but Rome in particular. There's like a brown, uh, round, plain bread, uh, and that's what we used to, to make um, to make the blessing and as a challah. Uh, so the new tradition of having the bread, which is not a new tradition to bread the bread, of course, but in in Italy to have it as a, as, as a Saturday or Friday night uh, um, challah bread. There's relatively new things that uh, I didn't grow up with, but. Uh, being all wonderful ideas, we we just take whatever it, it, it's great and we adopt them and add them to the
0: repertoire. Can you tell us about the kosher bakery Boccione? Why is it notable? So
2: Boccione, it's really an institution in Rome. It's in the, um, in the heart of the uh, what is called the Piazza, which is the, uh, the main square of, in the Jewish quarter. It's uh, what is called really a hole in a wall. It's like a little corner shop where you can't, uh, there's no name at the top. It is really tiny inside. Um, it's run by a family of women. Uh, really, there's only women running it, and they are not particularly friendly. But they know, and they kind of really almost play uh, with with it. But uh, they, their baking is just wonderful, and it's uh, they make all the traditional. Roman Jewish uh, um, um, bakes, uh, such as the pizza ebraica, which is a fruit cake so with nuts and candied fruit, the um, torta di ricotta e visciole ricotta and sour cherries tart, um, or a ricotta and chocolate or ginetti, or uh, uh, some uh, uh, cinnamon and almonds biscotti, and they and that's just the only ones who make them like that. There are other bakeries now that. They, they also sell here and there, but they are, let's say, the heart the, the heart of, of the, the Roman Jewish ghetto as, as bakeries is concerned.
0: How is Italian Jewish cuisine different in different regions and locales within Italy? How is Rome's Jewish community's cooking similar to or different from Milan's, Livorno's, Sicily's, Venice's, Florence's, and others?
2: Okay, so the the idea behind it is that the Jews arrived at different times in the different regions in Italy, and they brought with them their own cooking traditions and their own uh, sometimes ingredients. As I mentioned earlier with the aubergines and uh, um, from from the south, and the funnily enough, uh, the the fact that um, Ghettos were in Italy for over three hundred years. Um, they enhanced or they allowed the conservation of traditions and uh, and way of cooking. Um, somehow they stopped time for that. They they locked it and. Um, and as a result, you can you can see that there's like a Roman Jewish cuisine, a Venetian Jewish cuisine, a Livornese Jewish cuisine, and so on. And the, the, for example, the, you have the different ways of immigration from the North, Venice, for example. Um, the first Jews arrived in Venice were Ashkenazi Jews, but then the ghettos, there were like three different kind of ghettos for the different types of uh, Jews that arrived throughout the centuries. So you had the Ashkenazi Jews, you have the Ponentini Jews, you have the uh, Italian Jews and Sephardi Jews, and they all brought with them their own cooking traditions and their own ingredients. And it became a wonderful melting pot. Um, So you may have Ashkenazi influence more in Venice or in Piedmont from the Jews that came from France, uh, of course, and all the goose recipe that I, for example, and the use of goose that I um, mentioned in the book uh, they are really from the north because that's a, a tradition that Central European Jews had, but there was no really goose in the south of Italy. So in Rome, you wouldn't find any goose recipe as such. Um, eh, you would use more kind of uh, uh, beef and uh, and uh, local uh, ingredients as the artichokes. You know, the carciofi alla giudia is perhaps the emblem of Italian Jewish cuisine. It's a wonderful fried uh, artichokes that opens up like a flam flowers and it's crispy and it's sweet and savory at the same time. And it's really delicious. Um, and so every region has its own things to 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 offer as such, and based on the influence of the Jews that arrived at different
0: times. You alluded to goose meat. Um, yes. And goose meat, is referred to often in your book, for example, you refer to the kosher goose producer Yolanda De Cola, and you describe (laughs) the attempt by Anna Campos of the Venetian Jewish community to revive the preparation of goose goose cold cuts. Um, Can you tell us about the history of goose consumption among Italian Mm -hmm. Jews? Um, Can you... Comment on why goose consumption is less common in recent times. Can you describe the recipes you present that can incorporate goose?
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, with pleasure. So um, goose is a really fascinating ingredient because it's, uh, although I didn't really grow up in it in the north of Italy, has been really a central part of in Piedmont in particular, in Venice, in Modena, in in Bologna. So in the north part of the Apennine, um, eh, it's often uh, um, eh, defined as uh, the pork of the Jews, because of the cold cuts of meat that I mentioned before. For example, I talked about Rome and using the cold cuts of meat using beef, that the Jews in the north used the cold cuts of goose. So goose has a long history of being used amongst Ashkenazi Jews for really centuries. People used to um, breed the geese in their courtyard and uh, basements um, eh, in venice and there were uh, in in the, in the main area where the where the market was it was like full of um eh, of 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 geese being being bred there, and uh, so it was really a primary a primary source of uh, uh, of meat as uh, as uh, you would have for the perhaps from the Catholic they would eat pork as easily they, they, the Jews in the north they would eat the goose, but eventually goose generally. Was replaced by the by the use of uh, turkey through the centuries, uh, which uh, was uh, um, cheaper. There was more meat to it. It was a bit more tender. So eventually, it kind of uh, faded away. And now and nowadays, and then eventually, chicken took even more over it. Uh, so it just, I think, was a a more of a natural death, let's say, of uh, of its use, uh, rather than uh, um, uh, being stopped for for specific reasons. So it's just uh, one of those way that of mm-hmm. how kind of. Uh, uh, Cooking evolves and ingredients change within a specific culture, um, um, but there's uh, some um, mentions that I do on the on, on the book uh, um, where where I go more into details of of, of all the possible the ways of which goose meat uh, uh, was used for making prosciutto or or uh, um, or the goose fat uh, um, uh, eaten and. Put inside of Fogazza and the pizza and every, every possible way. And today you can find it, but more rarely, because really there's one uh, a, a producer of it, uh, which amongst other. Uh, non-kosher meat also does the kosher, the kosher one, and it's uh, and it's sold mostly for for like special occasions or as in cold cuts. But um, it's kind of lost that old traditions of using it, um, both the meat and its fat, uh, for for general cooking as as it used to be a long time
0: ago. How do Italian Jews prepare charoset? Can you describe your recipe?
2: <laughs> so Italian Jews. Juice- there's no one recipe. Like I think, probably charoset of all the the recipes, probably one of those. Yes. Uh, There's more recipe of charoset as there are of Jews, I think. But uh, um. So it really changes um, the one that I, even in my family, we, we you know, we do a, a Seder night where they, we do the old festivals with my mother's side of the family, which are more um, religious and traditional. And they come over to my mom's and there's about usually between 30 to 40 people for, for Seder night at ours. And even between us, we have at least three different types of haroset. Uh So um, the one that I propose in the book is the one that eventually I, I kind of made my, my own based on uh, what my, um, My cousin, Manuela, always does, and then my sister-in-law, Loredana, makes some. Uh, And and, uh, the idea is to really have a rich combination of nuts, of flavors of nuts and and dried fruits. And we do always add a little bit of red wine or or orange juice. Uh, Being seasoned then, the blood blood orange juice uh, tends to kind of always go in there as well. Um, but I I put uh, um eh, both hazelnuts and almonds and uh, um eh, and orange juice and and red wine I have no sugar because it's all very natural natural uh, um eh, uh, sugar and sweetness that come from the fruit, um, uh, dates going there. So you can you can actually be really as creative as 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 you like. So the idea is to just for me is to share my recipe, and then for people to pick and choose it, to reproduce it as such or 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 uh, or replace any of the ingredients.
0: What are the most popular dishes prepared by Italian Jews on the occasion of Tu Bishvat and Shabbat B'Shalach?
2: Yes. So there's one recipe that I propose in the book uh, which is a fascinating and somehow it links with the with the goose that we mentioned earlier, uh, which is the ruota de faraone, uh, which is uh, um, a, um, uh, it's, it's it's a very interesting uh, dish that comes from a combination of Venice and Ferrara. Bologna. Um, It's a bit of a macabre uh, story, really. But uh, the idea of of, like to be shvat and the Shabbat B'shelash tells the story of when the Jews come out from uh, Egypt and they uh, cross the Red Sea. So this dish, it's, uh, um, it's, uh, it's a Pasta bake—it's a fettuccine bake uh, where uh, you would cook the, the the fettuccine, and then inside there the used to be like a, a goose meatballs or 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 little. Uh, sausages um in pieces and then you have the pine nuts and the raisins and they kind of uh, represent the, the the past is like the waves uh of the of the sea that is uh, closing and then there's like uh, the um the the meats and the the, the peanuts and the raisins are like on um, the horses and the and the <laughs> egyptian soldiers being uh, and trapped and Devoured by the waters, and uh, and as we do eat juice, we just eventually make a dish out of it, and and uh, and uh, it's a really interesting and it's a really lovely and really tasty dish actually, which I look forward to making in a in a few weeks actually.
0: Can you tell us about bomboloni? What is the significance of this Hanukkah dish? How is this recipe different from yot, which are perhaps more widely known elsewhere, outside
1: of Italy.
2: Yes. So that's what I I, I kind of touched on it. uh, earlier, they are they are quite similar. I mean, the idea is that it's it's a similar similar idea. Just that we, the bomboloni in Italy, they're made every day, and you can have breakfast. People have it for breakfast. If you stop for a bar, you have a cappuccino, cornetto, cappuccino bombolone. Or as a teenager, you would go like a midnight to have it and uh, with your friends and uh, and uh, have a um, a bombolone con la crema. But it's 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 like a, it is like a um, in. A donut like a, a fried donut with with feeding inside. So it's a quite uh, on a similar way of something out.
0: Which recipes in this book would you most recommend to a complete beginner in the kitchen? Which recipe or recipes would you most recommend to someone coming home from a very bad day? Which recipe <laughs> or recipes would you most recommend for a date night?
2: Okay. So for a uh... An easy recipe. It's the one that always comes to my mind, which is the pollo ezechiele, which is a chicken dish with uh, tomato, red wine, uh, olives, and uh, and fresh herbs. It's so easy to make. You really just put everything together and let it cook, and the flavors are so intense and so delicious. So, if you eat meat, then I would definitely try the pollo ezechiele. Um, eh, or the guzza moddi, which are the meatballs in celery and tomato sauce, really lovely. Um, as a fish dish, a very easy and delicious one is the um, the pesce al livornese the livornese fish with tomato and chili that I mentioned earlier. Um, really really nice and quite uh, straightforward to make um if you are coming back home and you just want a quick dish actually i think the fish probably it's a really good one to do um of my pastas i love pastas um i gave four recipes of tomato sauce so, so um there's a garlic base, an onion base, an onion and 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 garlic, and a bolognese sauce. So maybe just I would say do a large stack of bolognese sauce and just have it in the freezer, and then come back home and defrost and make a bowl of pasta bolognese. I think that always works pretty well. Um, or a pesto, I always uh, have pesto. For, uh, there is a recipe for a fresh pesto, basil pesto, and um, and I also that this freezes very well. So have it have it ready in the freezer, and then. Uh, um, make a pasta out of it. Um, for a date night, maybe a risotto is something nice to cook in the kitchen together and just uh, like uh, sip some wine while you, you show off your bit of skills of making a risotto. That would be that would be a nice one too to make like a porcini mushroom risotto. Um, maybe that, that, could, that, that could be. I think it's better to cook together rather than serve a ready meal feel food. Um, At least some of it, you can have the rest. And um, or a bad day, a bad day, you need something sweet. I think. (laughs) Um, for a day, maybe the cake that I that I bake the most is the torta torta in una bianca, which is a lemon sponge. It's like a a comfort food for desserts for me. It's I can have it in the morning, dipped in milk, or as a tea. Thing, so I always I would always hope for that. Or um, there's a lovely chocolate and almond um torta caprese, or a uh, hazelnut and chocolate, which is also very good. So I would go for one of those. I think oh melanzana Based- parmigiana, but it does take some times. But always always good. <laughs> Sorry, bond. Go
0: <laughs> Based on your personal experience preparing this cookbook, what advice would you give to a young aspiring chef? what wisdom would you share with someone thinking about writing a cookbook but does not know where to start?
2: Uh huh. So it's just perseverance and, and passion I think for me had been really fundamental uh, believing in and believing in your project I meaning if you want to do it, it just it's gonna be hard at times this my book had different life cycles sometimes I went for it um, and then and, and sometimes I stopped it and I thought maybe never to finish it and then uh, I, but I always wanted to do it I always I knew that I I, I would have really regretted not to do it so I and it was important for me to to bring a message across and I think there's uh, I think people would have found the recipe Handy and uh, the story interesting. So I believe in your project. I think uh, you. If my my main module is like find find the passion and, and
0: and follow it through. As we bring our dialogue today to a close, can you tell us about what you are working on now that this book is behind you? Where is your intention yes. going?
2: <laughs> so it's funny. It's like this is I, this. Is, I just I just gave birth to this book. So my my aim now is to really bring it to life and let it grow a little bit. <laughs> um, it's. Uh, I always find that it's a, it's like a question, you know, when, uh, If you meet if you meet someone or a boyfriend, so when are you gonna get married? When you get married, it's like when are you gonna have a first child? So there's always, it's like I'm actually at the moment I'm really just enjoying the book coming to life because um, my main uh, work and occupancy is really to cook every day. I cook for cookery cookery demonstrations. I do. I work a lot with synagogues. Uh, um, I do food deliveries and do catering. So that's my day to day. Thing so I I maybe I started this morning. Actually, I was talking to a colleague, and I was talking about if I do a second cookery book, how to title it. So maybe there may be some other ideas in my in my mind, but uh, I am really mostly going back in the kitchen and cooking a lot because in the last year I've been writing a lot so I will I I, I I'm really much enjoying the the cooking part of it and and spreading the word by doing cooking demonstration and and um and and letting the the book have its own natural growth so um yeah that's where I am at the moment
0: I wish you the very best <laughs> Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
0: To our listeners, I am your host on the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast, Ari Barbalat. Today, I have been in dialogue with Sylvia Nakamuli. She is a cookery teacher and Italian Jewish food specialist living in London, England. Today, we've been discussing her new book, Jewish Flavors of Italy, a family cookbook Published in London by Greenbeans Books 2023. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much.